Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our continuing series explaining the faith that we really need, I think, now more than ever to understand God's grace is a little better. Um, I'm Father Chris Alar. I have um, uh, flown in from Michigan. Thank you for all of your prayers. Uh, to all of our wonderful Marian helpers, for Mark, we had the funeral yesterday. Um, as I um, spoke on him, it was difficult, um, and it was this topic of death that inspired me to quickly put together this presentation for today. Um, also, my mom, who has uh, been struggling greatly, thank you for prayers for her. She had a terrible fall um, down the stairs and has um, fractured some ribs and uh, um, gone through uh, quite some trauma. She was unconscious. So thank you for that. And being so close to death that all of us will face, I think this topic is very important that we can see it from a different perspective. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what happens at death and how to prepare for it. Please prepare for it. It's something that we try to avoid, but we shouldn't. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask for the grace, especially through the intercession of St. Joseph, for a happy death, which we will all face one day. We ask, though, that we be given the time on earth to correct our ways, to be able to get back into a state of grace, to be able to do your will, and thus prepare for eternity. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And Lord, we place the soul of Mark into your hands, a precious employee who we laid to rest yesterday. May he have eternal rest and through the grace of your mercy be with you in heaven. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, okay. So now, earthly, I think the place to start here is I think we all know that earthly pain reaches its highest point, its climax, when we lose someone to death and we are left behind. I could see Mark's family there yesterday at the funeral and it was heartbreaking, um, just feeling helpless, but we know we're not. We know that we have the grace of God. This is when our faith and perseverance is most tested. Um, we have to go on as, as Sammy Wood, our good friend, said, you'll never get over such a tragedy, but you can get through it. You can't get over it, but you can get through it. And this is what we're going to talk about today. So Fulton Sheen, the great Fulton Sheen said, the greatest fear of mankind is dying. But he said, that's because we haven't practiced for it. What? Yeah, Fulton Sheen said, the reason death is our greatest fear is we haven't practiced for it. I'm like, when I was younger and I heard that, I was like, what's he talking about? So anyway, so what's going on here? What happens? All right, let's take a look at our first slide. Here is death. All right, so we're looking at this slide. Look what's going on there. Do you think this guy's worried about his condominium or his car or his bank account at this point? No, we have to say goodbye to everything. So learning how to detach from things of this world and surprisingly even people, 
Okay, that's what's shocking to most is something that is now very important. You know, then and only then am I ready to end my life when I have nothing but God. That's the point here. This is actually what Lent is about. People don't think about this. Lent is a practice for dying. Fulton Sheen said, we're fearful of dying because we haven't practiced for it. Lent is actually what it is intended to do is practice for death. It is a practice for dying. It is being stripped on Good Friday so that we can experience the resurrection on Easter Sunday, just like Christ did. Now, as Christian, as a Christian, Paul tells us in the Gospels or in the Bible that we should be used to dying. Paul says that we need to die daily, as Jesus said. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, Yes, our will, we have to deny ourselves, follow Christ. When his will crosses our will, we have to take his. That's a death every little day. You know, we could do major mortifications like, you know, flagellations or whatever, but the greatest are surrendering our will. That's a tiny death every day. But also too, physically, when you go to bed every night, uh, and you fall asleep, that's like a mini death. And when you wake up in the morning, that's like a mini resurrection. It's a chance for you to start over. What's that old saying? Um, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Make it count. All right. So in order to not be afraid of dying, as I said, we have to practice for it. But nobody thinks of this. All right. Death is stripping of all things in this life, which we hold on to. As I said, leaving us only with God. And so Lent helps us practice that, but not just Lent. If we are accustomed to dying to ourselves, doing God's will, not our will, that's what I did when I wanted to be married. I was engaged at a house of business. I wanted nothing more than to be able to come home every night the rest of my life to Gina. I, I wanted nothing more than that. But somehow I knew in my heart that God's will was that I was to be a priest. I didn't want that. I didn't think I could do it. I was fearful of it. I denied it. I ran away from it. And I somehow knew that was God's will. That's death to ourselves. You know, any guy would much rather have a, a, a beautiful wife and a home and a lot of money. But now when you find what God really called you to, that's actually true happiness. I have nothing now, basically. I mean, yeah, I have my, my meals and my, and my roof over my head. I have the essentials. But I don't have anything like I used to, boats and cars and mountain houses and houses on the lake. But I'm happier now than I've ever been. And so this is it. It brings fruitfulness when we follow the will of God and give death to ourselves. It, it brings a happy death because we have found true happiness. All right. <clears throat> this is what a happy death is. To avoid the fear of death, know that you're going to have a happy death. How? By saying yes when God strips us of those things we're attached to. Let's take a look at a powerful slide. This is St. Bartholomew. All right. Let's take a look at St. Bartholomew. What was his story? Really incredible. He literally had his flesh stripped away. Look at that. They flayed him. They literally cut his skin they filleted it off and his flesh was stripped away, but he remained joyful. How do you explain that? <laughs> right? <clears throat> 
because he knew that he was in the arms of God. He knew he was doing God's will. So what we do to avoid an unhappy death is we show gratitude for the life that we were given, even if it's short. Uh, I heard one priest say he knew a 15-year-old that was dying and he was more grateful than any adult he'd ever met, even 90-year-old adults, because he said, thank you, Lord, for the 15 years you gave me. So he didn't fear death. He was grateful and he didn't resent losing it. He said, nothing was owed to me. You know, I thought this was powerful. Those who believe everything in life is owed to us, this is the problem with entitlements and unjustifiable um, entitlements that, that, that our government's trying to enslave the people. Now, some are needed. My uncle lost his arm in the war. He deserved welfare and, and um, assistance. Um, but these entitlements that are enslaving uh, many people are not. People who think that they are owed everything, that everything in life is owed them, their cell phone is owed them, their house is owed them, their money is owed them, everything is owed them. This is a problem. They're not prepared to give it back. So at the end of life, when they have to give it back, they're unprepared. They're not wanting to give it back and they're resentful. All right. They're unhappy. Those who know every day is a gift are happy for whatever they received with no ingratitude. Ingratitude is one of the worst sins. And I never hear it confessed. It's one of the worst sins. Everybody's always focused on woe is me. I am one myself. I, I'm probably the biggest perpetrator of that. But yet think of all the times that I can breathe, that I can still, that God still gives me another day to right my wrongs. We grieve. This is true at a death. We should. We grieve, but we have hope. We have confident hope that there's got to be more than this world, this valley of tears, this suffering. And that's what it's all about. All right, let's look at our next slide. What is death? Death is defined as separation of the soul from the body at the end of our physical life. Okay, that's just a drawing representation. That's not an actual photograph there, but it's, it's our death that our soul separates from our bodies at the end of life. Life, therefore, should prepare for this. We are all going to have it happen. So life should be a preparation for death. It's a change of state of being. It is not the end of existence. So many people believe that's it. When I die, it goes back to blackness like it was before I was born. No, you live eternally. You and I have immortal souls. That's what, that's what makes us different than the other things that have souls. You know, plants and animals have souls. They're alive. Anything alive has a soul. The difference is they're not immortal like ours are. Our souls are rational. We can think and we live, <clears throat> we will live forever. <clears throat> this is why we have to prepare in this life for the end, which is a change of state, not an end of existence. Very important. Now, the reality of death should make us ask the question, what does life mean? What is my purpose? I've said this before. There's something called telos. It's the Greek the telos is the ultimate end of life when you achieve what you were created for, the end for which something was created. And remember, if you watched my videos last week, you heard me say on Divine Mercy Sunday, that's why the eighth day is the greatest day. It's connected with Easter. Easter opened the door to heaven. 
The next seven days are symbolic of our pilgrimage on life, but it's the eighth day. Eight is the perfect number to the Jews. It represents eternity that we walk through that door to heaven. That therefore is when we achieve the reason we were created. And so the reason we were created is powerful. That goes to our next slide. You want to know why you were created? Remember your Baltimore catechism to know God, to love God, to serve God and to be happy with him in this life and forever in heaven. That is the Baltimore catechism. So this is what it means to achieve the reason for which you were created. A kitten is created to become a cat. An acorn is created to become an oak tree. When this happens, we've achieved our purpose. Why were we created? To know God, love him and serve him and be happy with him forever. This is why I said the eighth day is the greatest day because we enter into heaven. We're united with God. The reason which we were created to be with him, happy. So we should have joy. Now, I'm not saying that you should have joy. There was no joy. There was not a lot of joy yesterday when we were with Mark's family. It was very, very humbling and hard, very difficult. I, 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 you know, my mom is, I pray for her and her well-being, but I know we are all going to have to face this. But there can be a form of joy when we are entering into that time where we can go through that door of heaven on the eighth day, the end of our life, to join God and do what we were created for, love him, serve him, and be with him, happy. But if we have no faith, if we have no, no, no belief, then there's no hope of any of this. And there's no true joy. This is why I try to spread the faith because it's what brings true joy. And people don't get this. Death, yes, it causes sadness. All right, we know this. Because we were created to live, not die. That's why death does cause sadness, understandably so. God's intended purpose in creating us is to be in communion with him and each other, not to be dead. This is why saints are alive. We hear people say all the time, the saints are dead. You're talking to dead people. No, they are alive. They've resurrected. And at the final judgment, they'll resurrect with their bodies. We'll talk about that in a moment. So this communion, this communion of love with God and each other, all right, entails a gift of oneself. You have to strip and give yourself to God. This is why Jesus was stripped on the cross. They don't portray it, but he was actually, many historians say he was naked on the cross. Not even a loincloth. We do it for modesty purposes, show him with the loincloth. But they say he was naked on the cross. He was stripped of everything. So he could give himself to the Father. And we do too. We give ourselves to God and to others who are in relation with us. All right, then we are in imitation of the Trinity, that perfect love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who we are when we love each other. We are in relation with, with me and Father Kaz and Brother Mark. That's a, a, a same type of relation like the Trinity, a love. Now, when our love becomes disordered, self-focused, and rather instead of our love going out, our love just goes up and down inside of us. We only care about ourselves. This becomes selfish and it brings a lack of harmony. It's only about me, 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 and not sharing that love with others. So sin causes this. It brings a disharmony 
to those relationships and to the universe that God gave us, right? This is why natural disasters happen because things are out of balance. Sin creates this imbalance. Sin is taking our eyes off of God and putting it on ourselves or on a creature or in material things. And this is why Paul said sin is serious and the wage of sin is death. Sin is so serious that when we do it, we bring about death. When you sin or I sin, we deserve to die. And you've heard me say that's why Jesus took our place. He died on the cross for us. All right. Now, Adam and Eve, when they fell into original sin, they fell into spiritual death. And with that came physical death. Mankind now turned from the love and trust it had in God to only himself. That's why pride is the king's sin. Pride is a focus on ourself. Remember, pride is not thinking of yourself, you're thinking less of yourself, like Michael said before Michael Jordan saying, I'm not a good basketball player. That's, that, that's, that's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And pride is a self-focus. All right, so now, in many ways, this punishment of death is actually a gift of mercy from God. Why? Hmm. Because death makes us reorient. I tell you what, after being at that funeral yesterday, it put a lot of things in perspective in our life. What is important? The reality that our time on earth is finite. Once it's over, it's over. It makes us contemplate our relation with God. Death actually makes us think about our relation with each other. Those are the two great commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. So death helps us realize that we need to be in right relation with God and with neighbor. But how death, however, as I said before, is not what God intended. It was not his plan from the beginning. Now, isn't everything, though, under God's plan, Father? Isn't everything under his providence? Okay. In God's ordained will, he did not want suffering and death. It was not his plan. He doesn't want sickness, death, disease. But in his permissive will, he allows it. And I'm not, I'm not going to do this talk again. I've already done this talk. You can find it on YouTube. But I'm just going to summarize it in a few sentences. Why does God allow it? Okay, because God took the highest risk in giving us all free will. That he wanted us to love him freely. Only with free will could we love him freely. But with free will, he took the risk that we would turn our back on him and each other. Sin has consequences when we do that, but he allows us to make our choice for him or against him because only then are our choices for him true love. If somebody is forced to love you by a shotgun wedding, do you really feel that that's true love? No, you want them to come to you, not as a robot. You want them to come to you in true love, not because they're forced or afraid. This is why God gave us free will. In a sense, he has to permit the existence of evil because if we didn't have the choice to make good or make the choice of evil, then our love of choosing him wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be real. It'd be robotic. So if we have the choice to choose for him, we also have to be able to choose against him. And this is what the world has messed up. It's not what God intended, death. 
but it's the price he paid for our freedom so that we could love him freely. But God doesn't sit idly by, right? He doesn't sit by. He wants to bring a greater good out of this. Now, I talked about this again in another talk, so I'm going to end here. But it does make us reflect. This I have not talked about before. We see the saints. The saints tell us how to get through this. You know, the saints say there's nothing worse in the world than wasted suffering. So, wait a minute, Father, should we be happy then at, at, at the funeral yesterday? No, not necessarily because again, it wasn't God's ordained will. It wasn't his plan to have death. Therefore, Christians, we are not forbidden to grieve. We grieve the death of our loved ones because it wasn't God's plan. Jesus himself wept over Lazarus. Remember the shortest passage in the scriptures is Jesus wept. Shortest passage. Now, I cover all this. I'll just show it real quickly. Uh, Brother Mark can put the slide up. This is, I cover all of this in my book, After Suicide. It's not just about suicide. It's suffering, any kind of loss, death, tragedy. So please consider visiting suicideandhope.com um, if you've experienced a loss of any kind, not just suicide, but any kind of loss. That was what I put together to help you. Now, grief over death is a part of life. We know this. We should and need to grieve for the dead. All right. It's not a lack of faith or betrayal of, of the memory of the person. You know, obviously we will miss them in this life, but there's hope for them even in the midst of tragedy. All right. I've been talking about Mark, you know, um, his family wanted me to let people know that he stayed close to God. You know, when they found him, he had a rosary in his hand. And I learned something at the funeral that was amazing yesterday. Um, when I looked at Mark during the wake, I got home Thursday night, late. And I went to see Mark at the wake. He looked untouched. He looked perfect. And this is not normal. When somebody experiences a fall like he did, usually there's severe damage to the body, blood or broken bones. Do you know Mark never even had a chipped tooth? He didn't even have a scratch on his body from a tremendous fall. And his family wanted me to say that they believe the angels cushioned his fall and brought him into eternity. I was dumbfounded. I think that's an incredible story that the angels caught him. And his family believes that truthfully. That's hope. Why is there hope for that family? Because of the, there's something more than this life. There's something after it. This is our next slide. This is our hope. Our hope is what? Divine mercy. This is mankind's last hope of salvation. This is what we pray that we will see at the end of our life and that we will say yes to it. The Bible says that for the faithful, life is changed, not ended. It provides peace and calm in this transition time. And Mark did look like he was at peace. 
Praise be God. For the non-believer, there's nothing to look forward to. If you know a non-believer, don't give up. We pray for them. That at that end moment of death, they will say yes to God, even if in this world, it doesn't look like it. It looks like they've given up and that there's no hope. No, there is hope. For the believer, there is hope. Even if someone goes to the last day of their life, just pray that they say yes to God when he comes. It's not too late, even at that moment. So fear of death, as I said, is the number one fear. And we try to avoid it. But God's love casts out all fear. This is in the Bible. God's love casts out all fear. So as a baptized Catholic, we can actually have a supernatural non-fear of death. You know, coronavirus right now. Coronavirus makes us all aware of how short life can be, that anyone can die suddenly. But we should overcome that fear with faith, not necessarily just every, put all of our stock into a temporary vaccine. I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm not, uh, I don't even get into that topic, but I'm saying the key for the, 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 to be able to get through it is faith. Not counting just on the temporary things. Ask God for the grace not to fear death because it no longer has power over us. All right. For the baptized, there is no more death. What, Father? No, death is not the end of existence, as I just said. It's a transition to another state. Jesus conquered death. By rising from the dead. That's why he did. Death was the enemy, our enemy. It says so in scripture. And the last enemy to be overcome and Christ overcame it. He conquered it. From Christ's victory over death, we believe in the resurrection and the life of the world to come. We pray this every mass in the creed or Sunday mass. This belief gives us hope for the future. This is powerful stuff. If we, can, if we can somehow see beyond the present pain. I'm not saying we can't grieve or we shouldn't grieve. There were so many tears shed last, last, yesterday and those tears will continue. But somehow his family saw beyond the pain. They believe Mark is, is, is there with God and God had mercy on him. We have to hope in a God who suffers alongside us. That's why the Catholics still show Christ on the cross. When we see him on the cross, if you are still suffering, Jesus is still on that cross with you. We've always heard non-Catholics say, you crazy Catholics, my Jesus is risen. Well, I tell you, as long as you are suffering, in a way, Jesus is still on that cross with us. He came to pay our penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. Wow, he rose to life. He defeated that death and continues to come to us through the church. This is how we know that he came to us. He also comes to us in more direct way at the moment of death. You know, I always talk about St. Faustina. Let's look at our next slide. This is the diary of St. Faustina. If you don't know it, please Google that. The diary of St. Faustina. You can get a copy in that diary. Jesus says to St. Faustina in paragraph 1486 that he comes to the soul three times at the moment of death and gives them the chance to say yes as everything else is stripped away, like I said. That's when our prayers are needed. 
Even today, you could pray for somebody who has died years ago because God is outside of time. There's no past for God. There's no present, or I'm sorry, there's no future for God. It's all one big present moment. You've heard me say this. If you haven't, I have the YouTube videos online. it's, It's God's mercy in the midst of tragedy and suffering and suicide. Because God is omniscient and all powerful and omnipotent, He knew that you would make this prayer tonight for somebody who died 50 years ago. Your parents, your grandparents. And he will give those graces to them knowing that 50 years later you'd make that prayer tonight. So if you've lost anybody, yesterday at the funeral, we prayed for Mark in the funeral rite. So you know this is official church teaching. The collect of the rite says that we pray for the forgiveness of his sins. Well, wait a minute. The particular judgment was at the moment of death. That was six days ago for Mark. If what I say isn't true, then we couldn't pray that prayer. But that's an official prayer of the church. It says, Lord, please forgive Mark his sins. Well, wait a minute. He's been judged. He was judged six days ago. So God either did or didn't. Our prayer can't do anything now. Wrong. Our prayer six days later or 60 years later can help them at their judgment that God can give that grace from your prayer. That's why Padre Pio was praying in front of his doctor. His doctor said, what are you praying for? Padre Pio said, the happy death of my grandfather. And he said, well, your grandfather died 20 years ago. He said, I know. But God knew 20 years ago I'd be making this prayer tonight and he'll apply that grace to him. This is incredible. Again, I'm sorry, I don't want to duplicate a talk. It's online if you want to hear more about this. This is what it is. Hope that there's life beyond death. Death is simply a door to a new life. And we should have hope. I want to show the first, our only video today. It's a little longer. It's three and a half minutes. But let's take a look at this video because Father Kirby, I did a video series. If you want to look it up, it's called uh, Queen of Heaven. And I did it with this priest in North Carolina. We filmed it and it's called Queen of Heaven. And I did it a couple years ago. And it talks about the importance of Mary's role, which we're going to get to. But right now, Father Kirby does a great job of explaining why we have hope. Let's watch this three and a half minute video. As human beings with the power of reason, we could know and reflect on the reality of our own deaths. This awareness is heightened when we're up against a serious medical condition or illness. It becomes reality when we are terminally ill or in the dying process. Since self-preservation is one of our most basic drives, it's common for anyone, even a person of faith, to have a natural fear of dying. The reality of concluding our life in this world and of saying goodbye to our loved ones and to the life that we've become accustomed to certainly brings up some anxiety and fear in minds and hearts. For the unbeliever, he is left with such restlessness. For the Christian, however, there is an answer to this trepidation and uneasiness. The believer turns to the Paschal Mystery, which is the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Paschal Mystery, the Christian offers up his fears as a gift to the Lord Jesus and unites it to the Lord's own sufferings. In this way, his emotional suffering becomes redemptive and brings about a greater good in his life and in the lives of others. As Holy Ones has said throughout the ages, there is nothing worse in this world than wasted suffering. 
The Christian therefore knows the power of his suffering and offers it up for his good and for the good of those in need. The Christian also reminds himself and asks fellow believers to remind him that death has lost its sting. The Lord Jesus has destroyed the kingdom of sin and death by the power of his resurrection. The Lord offers each of us a share in his glory. As we suffer and are distressed over the prospect of our own deaths, we are consoled in the sure knowledge that this life leads to another. As we pray in the funeral mass, indeed, Lord, for your faithful, life is changed, not ended. This is the hope that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. In dark moments, when fear wants to overwhelm us, we can claim the light of the resurrection and find a renewed peace and calm in that wonderful mystery. As a help to strengthening our faith in the resurrection, we can pray the glorious mysteries of the rosary and read or have read to us the different pastor and resurrection accounts in the gospel books. Additionally, the praying of the Psalms in the Old Testament can bring spiritual encouragement and consolation. By fanning into flame the graces of the resurrection, the Christian finds a supernatural readiness and boldness for death. The believer knows that another chapter, this one, final and eternal, awaits him beyond death. And so when the Christian might have a natural fear of death and dying, it is elevated and transformed by the glory of the resurrection. In addition to the above spiritual practices, the Christian tradition has also recommended and endorsed prayers to St. Joseph for a happy death. And it makes sense. Since St. Joseph died with the Blessed Virgin Mary on one side of him and the Lord Jesus on the other, and so St. Joseph is the best patron for a holy and peaceful death. There are many prayers written to St. Joseph in this spirit, and here's one that is particularly popular. We pray, O blessed Joseph, who died in the arms of Jesus and Mary, obtain for me, I beseech you, the grace of a happy death. In that hour of dread and anguish, assist me by your presence and protect me by your power against the enemies of my salvation. Into your sacred hands, living and dying, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I commend my soul. Amen. Okay, so thank you for watching that video. You know, that is about death. But now we're going to get into judgment because this is what happens when we die. We are judged immediately. Now, wait a minute, Father. You just said God's outside of time. Yes, we still are judged immediately upon death. Okay, I didn't, when I said no, I didn't mean that we're not judged. When I said no means that, you know, our prayers don't have any impact. Yes, they do. And so uh, because God's outside of time, everything is instantaneous for God. But we do face judgment at the end of our life. And that's what we're going to talk about now. So let's look at our next slide. Our next slide, judgment. All right. Basically, I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. Matthew. Oh, boy. All right. So we will all die. All right. Now, this is interesting. We will all die except those who are alive when Jesus comes again. They actually won't die. Whoa, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So if Jesus comes in our lifetime, that's it. Our time on earth is still over, though. Remember, death is just your time on, the end of your time on earth. All right. Now, we will all, however, be judged. And in a particular judgment, that is what we are talking about right now. Then we will be followed by a general judgment. I briefly talked about this in my end times talk last summer, but I'm going to talk about it from a different perspective. All right. Now, 
First, we undergo what's called a personal judgment. This is Hebrews 9.27. Let's look at our next slide. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. All right, the soul upon death goes to Jesus in his human nature, one-on-one, right? Jesus said he's the judge, right? While the body remains on earth, in decays. We will enter into a state of eternity that matches our choices, either heaven, hell, or purgatory, a layover. Ultimately, heaven or hell. Purgatory is a, a way station. Oh, Father, purgatory is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15 says, you must be purified by fire. And then Matthew 5, 26 you will remain until you have paid the last penny. Yes, purgatory is in the Bible. Well, the word isn't. Well, neither is the word Trinity. All right, now, Protestants say Christ did it all and there's nothing we are to do. Well, let's look at this. Yes, that's true to get to heaven. We need grace. Very true. But we must cooperate with that grace. Yes, Jesus did it on the cross. But if we don't, if we don't cooperate with that grace and do acts of love, not acts of the law, acts of love to manifest that grace, then we, we, Matthew 25 tells us we don't make it. Unless you love your brother, you're a liar. And this is the problem. So we need these works of love, not just works though. So that people, you know, far one side Catholics, a lot of Catholics say you need just works. And on the far other side, you have Protestants say you need just grace. The answer is both. We need them both. It all starts from God's grace, but then we have to cooperate with it and we have to do our works of love. We have to be loving or the grace doesn't, it's not beneficial. Now, it redeemed us, but it won't save us if we don't cooperate with us, all right? Now, here's what's important. In heaven, we will see God in the beatific vision. I'm going to do heaven is going to be a different talk. I'm not going to go into the details of heaven. We don't see him physically with our eyeballs. We see God intellectually in our souls. Now, that might sound strange, but we do feel him. We're with him. We're united with him. And it may also seem strange that we find hope in God's judgment. Well, Father, you finally got me convinced to see hope in death, but now you're telling me there's hope in judgment? I'm going to be scared. Well, okay. Judgment is something we will all face, but we believe that God is merciful. He is perfect and omniscient. He knows everything because God is perfectly knowing he will take into account all our struggles. All right? God is perfect justice. So he will take everything into account. Addictions, children being raised in this crazy culture. Because he's just, that's why, what do you mean, Father? God's justice equals his mercy. Because he is just, he takes everything into account. I don't want him to take everything into account. Yes, you do. Because when he does, you'll, he better understands why you had that addiction. Maybe it was something that happened to you when you were 10 years old. I met people started smoking when they were seven. God has mercy on that. He takes the big picture. The only way that we are lost is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. You've heard me say this. But for a sin to be mortal, we must have free will. 
And sometimes we don't. God is understanding here. Somebody totally addicted since seven years old to alcohol doesn't have free will. God was present to my grandma. You know my story. My grandma took her life. I'm not going to go through that whole story, but it's agonizing. And she went through an agonizing day after day after day. She went through agonizing night after night. I doubt that God was likely to say that she made this decision to take her life out of complete free will. She didn't. I believe she didn't have free will in the sense that she wanted to do it. She didn't want to do it. Although it was the wrong decision, suicide is never the right answer. I believe her depression and her pain was too much to bear. It drove her to do something she didn't want to do. God takes this into consideration. Thank God he does. Thank God he's just because he takes it all into factor. He, you know, I think he knows that she only, in fact, I know he knows that she only wanted the suffering to end. And that's why I believe God's justice took that into account at her judgment. That's why his justice is his mercy. And we can help our deceased loved ones even now, as I said, at the time of their judgment with our prayers. This is powerful. In 698 of the diary, Jesus says, when it looks like all hope is lost, that the sinner is gone, done, life is over, has died, it's not so. Paragraph 1698 of the 1698 of the diary, Jesus says, I come to that soul. And many times they turn to me in a moment of grace. And they allow me and they say yes to me. That's where your prayers kick in. So your prayers even today can help them at that moment when Jesus comes to them. Paragraph 1486 and 1698 of the diary talk about this. God is the judge, but he also defends the soul against the devil who wants to accuse us. This is why I always show this slide. You've seen it before, but it's worth showing again. This is the courtroom scene I always talk about. It's not church teaching. It's just a way, an analogy for me. The devil will bring up anything. What's the devil doing there? He's accusing you, me. That's you and me. And he's accusing us of everything he can. But you know what? What can he accuse you of? Only unconfessed sin. He can only do that. Satan can only bring up unconfessed sin. Confession not only cleanses us of the sins, but removes us from the hands of Satan. And so you want to be totally free? Satan can't do that to you at your judgment if all your sins are confessed. Get to confession. There's also hope through Mary because she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit, our advocate. And as God, he wants us to be with him forever. So he'll do whatever he can to help us. One of the ways he helps us is Mary. I just mentioned I did that video with Father Kirby called Queen of Heaven. Mary is the Queen of Heaven by right. Why, Father? Because she's the mother of the king, and that's who the queen was in Old Testament times. Father, I've never heard of this. It's not the Bible. I just got an email from somebody saying, calling Mary queen of heaven is blasphemous. It's not in the Bible. Yes, Jesus comes from the line of David, the line of kings. Now, the role of the queen, let's take our next, our next slide. Turn then, most gracious advocate, the role of the queen was to serve as advocate on behalf of the people. She was the voice of the people in the court of the king. 
Don't believe me? Go to 1 Kings 2, verse 19. Or 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 2 through 4. The, is, this is the role of the queen who is the mother of the king. Why would Jesus change that? He's descended from David, the line of kings. So this is the role of Mary. When we say, when we offer our prayers or our sufferings for our loved ones, we should place them in her hands. This is what Marian consecration is, as our next slide shows. Marian consecration, that's what you're doing. You're putting everything into her hands and you're letting her do the rest. She joins her prayers with ours. She takes your prayers and puts them with her, enriching them. And your prayers become her prayers. And she knows the Trinity better than anybody. Except the Trinity itself. When Mary said yes to being the mother of Christ, she also became the mother of the church. Because Christ's body is the church. And of the body, Christ is the head. So if Mary's the mother of the head, she's also the head of the body. I'm sorry, the mother of the body. So Christ is the head, we're the body. And if Mary's the mother of the head, she's also the mother of the body. That's us. People don't get this. This is powerful stuff. All right. Now, this is why our prayers can help one another, especially at the moment of death. Because God sees the love that we have for our neighbor. And does not scripture say, if we want their good, how much more does God want their good? Jesus says in scripture, if, if you give good things to the ones you love, how much more good things is the father going to give you? God is the great lover of souls and he allows his grace to flow through our love of neighbor to impact them to help them with particular graces they need, including the grace to receive God's grace. Remember, I said to be saved, you need God's grace and you need to accept it. Your prayers can say, Lord, help them accept your grace. St. Augustine used to pray, Lord, please give me the grace to accept your grace. This is powerful stuff. All right, now, in a way, God makes himself dependent on our faith. What? Yeah. Remember it said Jesus couldn't work miracles in his own hometown because the people didn't have faith. Well, wait a minute. God can do everything. He specifically chooses to work through us. That's why he used 12 apostles and didn't do it all himself. The non-Catholics believe Christ does everything himself. Yes, he could, but he chose not to. He chose to work through us. And this opens up his floodgates of mercy. Like the four men in the paralytic, one of my favorite gospel passages. When the four men lowered the man through the roof, Jesus looked at the man and he didn't say, your faith has healed you. He looked up at the four men and he said, their faith healed this guy. This is why our prayers at someone's moment of death or even after are so important. You can be like those four men praying for the paralytic. Yesterday, Mark was like that paralytic and all of us were in that church praying for him. We were like the men on the roof, lowering Mark to the feet of Christ. And this is what you can do. Sometimes we lack that trust though. We don't believe or, or, or we're mad or we're angry at God. God understands that. Sometimes we lack that trust in God to allow his grace to work in us. That's why Jesus said, I couldn't work miracles because they didn't let faith, the grace work in them. Now, this is where Mary comes in. Because if you lack that grace or that trust in that grace, I should say, 
Turn to Mary. She doesn't lack it. She has it. Mary never lacked trust. So consecrate to her. Then she will be present with us at our judgment. You know, there's an incredible story. I didn't tell it on a Saturday, but I told it once in a homily. I'm just going to give you the real quick version of it. Let's look at our next slide. This is a man by the name of Father Stephen Shire, a priest that was called to judgment. He was a priest that was not living a good priestly life. He was a priest that was doing everything wrong by his own admission. And one day, he was lived in the Midwest. <clears throat> he was in an accident and he was thrown from the vehicle. And he was dying. And he was saying himself that I was not a good priest. I wasn't praying. I, I wasn't a priest, a good priest. I was a bad priest. And this accident, he was thrown from the vehicle and he was laying on the road dying. And then all of a sudden, he, us, he mustered the strength to say one Hail Mary. One Hail Mary. And that Hail Mary did more than he could ever imagine. Because he was laying on that road dying and people were praying for him. Word got out and the paramedics came and his heart did stop. His breathing stopped. They thought he was dead. But several minutes later, they brought him back to life. And he had to go through rehabilitation and he did. And like six months or a year later, he was finally back into ministry. And one day he's celebrating mass. And he has the reading about the fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit and the person told the master, leave it one more year. I believe it will bear fruit. And the master said, okay, fertilize it and cultivate it. And then the, the servant said, if it doesn't bear fruit, we'll cut it down. We'll chop it up. But the master of the land gave it another chance. And so at that point, Father Shire said that the words lifted off the page and he recalled exactly what happened to him that night. You see, he did die that night on the road. And he went before the judgment throne of Christ. And he said, you, you couldn't see anything. You want to know what happens at the moment of your death? He can tell you. He says, it's pitch black because he did not behold the beatific vision of God. It wasn't the beautiful bright lights and the entry into heaven because he was not destined for heaven. His choices, not God condemning him. He condemned himself because God. Jesus went through with him. He said, your whole life flashes before your eyes. He says, it's very true that you hear that story, that your whole life flashes before your eyes, the good and the bad. And he saw that he was selfish and self-centered, only about himself. And Jesus said, you've done this and you haven't done this. And he says, uh, you can't lie before Jesus. He said, all he could say to Christ was, I know. And then Jesus said to him, your sentence is hell. A shiver ran down my spine when I heard this, when I was at EWTN. He was on Mother Angelica's show. And, and, and Father Shire said, all I could say was, I know. Because he chose that. Not God condemning him. All of a sudden, Father Shire said, this most beautiful, angelic, incredible, beautiful voice said, my son, just like that gospel passage to the owner of the land, Give it one more chance. And this voice said, my son, please give him one more chance. I believe he will bear fruit. And Jesus said, I know, mother, 
but he's been a priest for 12 years. He's only been a priest for himself. She said, I know my son, but please give him another chance. I believe he will bear fruit. He said, okay, mother, he's all yours. And she said, if, if, if you give him another chance and he doesn't bear fruit, then your will be done. He will be lost. But it wasn't God's will that he be lost. It's God's will that we have free will to choose to be lost or not. See the difference? And so God said, your sentence is hell. He said, I know I've chosen it. But then Mary says, please give him another chance. That's when he came back to life. And ever since then, he was said he was dedicated to Mary, focused on going to Jesus through her, not to her. She's not God. People say, well, Father, you're making it sound like Mary saved him. No, Mary's a creature. She came from God. It was God's mercy that Mary was there by his side in the first place. Mary is only there by Jesus because she was created by God. She's a creature. So Mary is God's own loophole to his justice. You see, God is justice and mercy, but Mary was created by God to be only mercy. And so she can intercede for us. This is a gift. It doesn't take you away from God. She leads you to God. She leads you to her son. And this is why it's so powerful not to say no to these gifts. You never, you offend, you want to talk about offending God? Turning to Mary doesn't offend God. What offends somebody is the saying, I don't care about the gift you gave me. If you went out and bought and made some beautiful gift for somebody and they looked at it and said, I don't want anything to do with that, you would be offended. God gave you the greatest gift in Mary. Don't look at it and say, I don't want that. That's offensive to God. Not embracing her and saying, help me to get to Jesus. That doesn't offend God. So we have to understand this rule. Mary, this is the role of Mary. You know, father said his life flashed before his eyes. This is the great leveler. Kings and peasants will all be judged that same way. Be ready. Accept the help of Mary. She can get you there. That's what she did for this priest. It's amazing. So when we lack the necessary trust in God, God's unfathomable love and mercy, Mary intercedes for us. You know why she did? Because he uttered one Hail Mary on the road. One Hail Mary. That's all he did. So if he said, I met him later before he passed away, God rest his soul. And I met him in Wichita. And he said, you know, Father Chris, he said, if you, if Mary did this for me, by just uttering one Hail Mary, what could she do for you if you actually had a devotion to her? This is who you need by your side. This is why we say, Mary, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. That's exactly what she did. When he prayed that Hail Mary on the road, he said, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. She sure did. She came in at the hour of his death. This is incredible. So as our mother, she supplies the trust that we lack at the hour of our death. Our mother is part of our defense team interceding for us. So I should have hope in the judgment of God. Why? I have his mother on my side. Wow. I've been shown, we've been shown that her, that if we give the slightest love or devotion, if we've shown to her even the slightest devotion, or if somebody has asked her to help us, Pray for Mary's intercession for those you love, even if they don't believe yet. 
Then we got the most powerful intercessor in the created world on our side. You have a son or daughter that doesn't care. Pray to Mary that she intercedes for them. Praying to someone does not mean worship. Praying to someone means you're asking a favor. I have a whole talk on that too. Because of this, we should pray for others by asking Mary's intercession for them. Mary is God's loophole, as I said, to his own justice. God created her. The mercy came from God. It wasn't, oh, well, God's the bad guy. Mary's the good person. Mary came from God. So God's all mercy. But Mary can utilize that by making atonement for us. She placated God's justice. God is justice and mercy. His justice has to be met. She intercedes for you and prays for you. That meets God's justice. So now God's mercy can pour upon you. Incredible. I also have hope in the judgment of God because his justice is conditioned by his mercy. And so I know I'm running late. I'm going to try to pick it up here. All right. Jesus told St. Faustina, the greater the sinner, the greater the right to my mercy. So we should not fear an unfair or harsh judgment. Even with tons of sins, tons of sins, God's mercy will be poured on us if we are sorry and repent. God's mercy trumps his justice. His mercy is his greatest attribute. Then we will make it to heaven, even if it's only by way of purgatory. Wow. All right. Let's go to our next slide. All right, what about our bodies? What about now the general judgment? What we just talked about a second ago was our particular judgment, our personal judgment. You seen this picture on the Sistine Chapel? What is that? It looks like a bunch of people, Father. That's the general judgment when all of mankind will gather together. All right, so what's going on in the general judgment? All right, the church teaches we have a particular judgment, which we just talked about, where we die and we meet Jesus. Now we're gonna go talking about the general judgment. All right, we go to heaven in our spiritual soul. When we die right now, before the coming of Christ, our soul hopefully goes to heaven or to hell, but we hope heaven, And but that's not all. We're not done here because we are body and soul. Jesus in his full human nature redeemed us body and soul. He didn't redeem just our souls, but our bodies too. So now, that is why we have the general resurrection, the general judgment. We will be reunited with our bodies. They will be perfected. We don't glorify or hate our body here on earth. Either one is wrong. If you worship your body in the mirror, that's wrong. If you hate your body and you want to get rid of it, that's wrong too. We look forward to the resurrection. Our body will be glorified. And people will, you'll shine with the light on how you reflected Christ in this world. We will have that same body, but it'll be changed. It'll be glorified. It'll be converted. And our body will be made just, unlike those who are condemned, whose bodies will be made darkened. Your body will be lightened and glorified if you're a believer and follower of Christ. And your body will be darkened and lost if you despise God and don't want anything to do with him. Now the general judgment, Father, where is that in the Bible? Acts 25, the second coming of Christ, he will appear in the heavens. And on that last day, Christ will judge all humanity. This is also Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Remember the sheep and the goats, Jesus will separate them at the end. The king will separate them. And this shows that universalism, this thought that nobody goes to hell, that's heresy. All who have lived will receive judgment, heaven or hell, at your personal judgment. 
But now we're going into the general judgment at the end of time. When Jesus comes again, all the nations will be gathered. Where? The Bible says the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is Joel 3, 2. And Matthew 24, 31 tells us that the angels will gather the elect of the Lord and will bring them to him. And they will bring everything to light. Everything you've ever done will be shown to the world. And it shows the effects of what you have done, good and bad. The ramifications of how it played out in the centuries after your death. All right. Now, for instance, you will see at the general judgment how your choices affected other people even after you lived. Your children, their children, your children's children's children. So if, if you stop believing in the faith and not giving it to your children, you'll see the ramifications of that because then your child didn't believe and then their child didn't believe. Don't despair though. It's not too late. You can put them now still in the arms of God, even if they're non-believers now. You can still say, Lord, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I place them in your hands now. Mary, please intercede for them. At the particular judgment, right when we die, we see how our sins and good works affected us up until our death. But now at the general judgment, we will see how our decisions, our sins, and our good works continue to play out throughout time to the end of the world. This is why people like, you know, the, um, the bad uh, emperors of Rome, um, Diocletian and others that put so many to death, you'll see the effect of that even though to the end of the world. And so the general judgment, we now see the bigger picture, not just about ourselves. Our particular judgment is how it affected ourselves. Our general judgment, will see how it affected everybody else. Everything will come to light. We committed these sins in the body, so it makes sense that we will be back in our body when it comes to light. The knowledge of how much grace God gave you will also be shown then. And I tell you, God infuses grace into you through the sacraments. So when you have access to the sacraments, you don't want to be there at the general judgment and God show the world that I gave you all this grace through the sacraments and you turned it down. You don't want that. We will see each person's particular judgment. It'll now all be known to everybody. So at your particular judgment, you just know about you. But at the general judgment, you'll know about everybody else. You'll know what happened to Hitler. You'll know what happened to Stalin. Now, odds are that they were probably lost, but we don't know for sure. They could have had brain tumors. We don't know this. We see each person's particular judgment and we know what happens to everyone. Everyone is going to know about you and you are going to know about everyone else. There is no more secrets. The good too will be revealed. So do good. All right. Now, Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account of every careless word you utter. So gossiping, slander. Now, Revelation 12, 13 says, all will be judged by what they have done. This is why Catholics believe that it's grace and good works. Protestants believe it's just grace. No, it's got to be good works. It says it in the Bible, Revelation 20, 13. We will all be judged by what you have done. Ah, oh, Father, you're scaring me now. All right, be at peace. You know why? You don't want this known? 
You don't want all the bad things you've done to get out like that? There is a way to avoid it. Go to confession and repent. Then they are forgotten. I've read some different theologians that have different views on this. But many theologians hold to the view that if you go to confession, you truly repent from those sins. They are gone forever. Jesus, God says, I, I, I forget as far as the east is from the west. You want them forgotten, totally expunged? Go to confession and repent. Wow. So now I want to show you what to do to prepare for death and this judgment. Father, you've told me something. I'm really scared now. Okay, avoid this. Let's look at this. Let's look at our next slide. How to prepare for death. Here's what you do. One, regular confession. Get it out of the way. Two, regular Holy Communion. Get those sins out of the way. Get them out of there. Go to confession. Get them out of the way. Get them. Go. Then go to Holy Communion. Be fed. Feed your soul. Three, live according to the duties of your state in life. Either single life if you're single, then you're focused on God. If you're married, you also focus on your, your spouse and your family. If you're religious, you're consecrated, focusing on God. Regular prayer, number four, right? And regular works of mercy, number five. The key, die in faith, die in grace. Die in a state of grace. You want to get to heaven? That's how you get to heaven. So if we practice our faith and we say yes to Jesus on earth, we can say yes to him when he comes for us on the eighth day, as you heard me describe before. He's coming for his bride. Now, St. Joseph, he's the patron saint of a happy death. Turn to him. Our lady, as I just explained, is a great protectress. And helps us at the end of our life. Not in place of God. He's a gift. She's a gift of God. You can intercede too. Like the four men in the paralytic. I told you. Be like the man on the roof. Lower your loved ones to the feet of Christ. Even if they're, they're not willing. They're, they're paralyzed. Well, Father, I can't take them to Christ. They don't believe. That paralytic, we didn't ask. God never asked the paralytic, the man on the mat, if he believed or not. What did he do with the man on the mat? That, that passage is in, it, it, amazing. Because Jesus didn't ask the man on the mat. He said the four men, your faith. So take your loved one, even if they don't believe in enter him. And now eventually when they die, they will have to choose. That man on the mat was forgiven of his sins because of their faith. But eventually he'll have to choose. But hopefully he'll choose the right one through their prayers. The right way. Choose God. Now, Jesus at divine mercy gave us the divine mercy message and devotion, the feast, the image, the novena, the chaplet, and the hour of mercy for us to help us to prepare for death and judgment at both our particular judgment and at the general judgment. This is amazing. St. Faustina was and is a powerful intercessor for the dying, for sinners, and so this is what we have to do. Let's take a look at what we have to do to care for the soul. We're almost done here. Hang with us. All right, let's look at our next slide. God is the shelter of our souls. All right, so we need to care for the soul. How do we do that? All right, do you know that you as a Catholic have an obligation to make sure that people 
have the care they need at the end of their life. Part of that is making sure your loved ones have access to a priest. Do your best. I understand now with coronavirus, but God knows if you try. And if you try and you can't, at least God gives the grace because he knows you tried. They can receive the sacraments. Please make it happen if they can. If not, you entrust them to God. Now, what do we do? All right, I've already done talks on these. So these are just summaries. One, anointing of the sick. That is normally given when the sick person is conscious, but it may be given even after they've lost consciousness. All right, like my mom. Even if they're not conscious, because we have reason to believe that if they were conscious, they would accept that anointing. Unless you know a fact that they wouldn't, we have an anointing done, even if they're unconscious, and it forgives their sins. The anointing of the sick is meant as both a possible source of physical healing. This is why it's not the sacrament um, to, to call last rites necessarily by itself. Anointing is not saying when the priest comes in to give an anointing, oh my gosh, you're telling me I'm going to die. People think that when I come in the room at the hospital, they think that means I'm like the angel of death. They think that I'm, I'm basically saying you're dying. No, I'm giving you the anointing to help heal you. Anointing is, is also for physical healing, not just preparation for death. It's both. It's a physical healing request to God, and it's also a spiritual strengthening to prepare them for death, if God so chooses. But we pray for healing. So a priest can give it, even if they're unconscious, to absolve their sins. Man, you talk about awesome. If somebody hasn't gone to confession in a while and now they're, they're sick and they're not able to respond, you can get them an anointing. It forgives their sins. All right, what about viaticum? What is that, Father? That is final Holy Communion. All Catholics who are capable of receiving communion should have viaticum when they are in danger of death, where they are still in possession of their faculties. I went with one of our employees, Melissa, to see her grandma, God bless her. And she was already unconscious. And she was laying in the hospital. Her mouth was open. And they said, Father, she can't, she can't swallow. She can't. Don't, please don't give her Holy Communion. I said, okay, I'll respect the wishes of the family. But then as I explained to them, they said, yes, please do. I said, I could take a tiny piece, put it in a little bit of water. If you allow me to take my finger and dab it on her tongue, it may dissolve. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, Father, then do that. And I took that little piece on my finger and I put it into her mouth and she clamped down on my finger. She sucked on my finger and she swallowed that host. That's amazing. That was God's grace. That was viaticum, food for the journey. It's given at the end of life as this grace for food for the journey. 97 years old. God bless her. All right. What about emergency baptism? All right, we've talked about this. I did a whole talk on baptism. Not going to dwell on it. Newborn infants that are in danger of death, including miscarriages. If you have a miscarriage, should be baptized if possible. In the case of an emergency, if a priest or deacon is not available, anyone can baptize, but it has to be. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as you are pouring water, form and matter, the matter is the water, the form are the words. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What about confirmation? 
If somebody is dying, when a Catholic has been baptized, but not yet confirmed, you're only confirmed once, and you're in danger of death, any priest may confirm that person. Now, it has to be a priest. All right. So a record of this should be given to the local parish if you did a baptism or a priest came and did confirmation. All right. Now, there's one other powerful thing called the apostolic pardon. Powerful. This is a special grace delegated by the Holy See to all priests. If somebody is dying in your family and the priest comes, ask for the apostolic pardon. That forgives not only all sin, but all punishment. It's a great plenary indulgence, the last one. If a Catholic has had regular habit of prayer and then at the end of their life receives anointing, you can give the apostolic pardon. We believe they'll go straight to heaven. All they have to do is say yes when they meet God on the eighth day when the groom comes for his bride. See how this all fits together? Man, if you've been watching this catechism class since the B began, this seminary program, please, you're, hopefully you're starting to see it all come together. Well, Father, I heard you say that one part a long, long time ago. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I do repeat things so that you can reinforce them and it makes sense. Oh yeah, I remember him saying that. We've got tons of these videos out online. They're called Explaining the Faith. Go out. If you missed any of these, watch them from the beginning. Do one a week. Catch up a couple a week. And you can see how our seminary training you in your Catholic faith. This is a joy for me. And so this priest can um, uh, give the apostolic pardon. Now, if the priest isn't available, then what? Father, the priest isn't available for an anoint uh, confirmation or, or apostolic pardon. Okay, have the dying person try to make an act of contrition. If they're, under, if they're unconscious, then you pray for them like a chaplet of divine mercy. Ask them to make an act of contrition if they're conscious to repent and trust in Jesus. We should pray that divine mercy chaplet for ourselves and for the dying. Powerful stuff. All right, finishing up. A couple slides left. Let's look at our next slide. Saint Faustina. All right. There's the prayer of the chaplet for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. You can Google it if you don't know it. But I want to tell you right now a couple of quick stories of Faustina. Just reading from her diary real quick to finish up the day. I want to read from diary 1565. Our Lord said to me, this is Faustina talking, my daughter, help me to save a certain dying sinner. Can you imagine our Lord saying, help me? He chooses this. This is our Lord's way. He chooses us to be intercessors, just like he chose Moses to intercede from the Israelites. People, non-Catholics say, this is crazy. This isn't in the Bible. Yes, it is. Throughout human history, God's been choosing certain people to intercede for others. That's what Moses was. Moses didn't talk to the regular people. He talked to Moses and said, you tell my people. He still called them my people. So Jesus said, my daughter, help me to save a certain dying sinner. Say the chaplet that I have taught you. Then she said, when I began to say the chaplet, I saw the man dying in the midst of terrible torment and struggle. This could happen at death if we haven't lived close to God. His guardian angel was defending him, but he was, as it were, powerless against the enormity of the soul's misery. Listen to this. A multitude of devils was waiting for his soul. 
But while I was saying the chaplet, I saw Jesus just as he is depicted in the image, the image of divine mercy. The rays which issued from his heart enveloped the sick man and the powers of darkness fled in panic. The sick man peacefully breathed his last. When I came to myself, I understood how very important the chaplet was for the dying. It appeases the anger of God. Diary 1565. That's what happens to people at death. So instead, when people are dying, just only saying it's automatic, they're in heaven. We got to pray for them in case they're not. This is what I tried to do for Mark. I know it's hard for some people to talk about it, but I wanted to get them to pray for him. Now let's go to another passage. 8.11. This is St. Faustina. I put this one up on the screen. Next slide. At the hour of their death, I defend as my own glory every soul that will say this chaplet. Or when others say it for a dying person, the pardon is the same. Can you imagine? Father, my children are away from the church. Pray the chaplet for them. It says, Jesus says right here, even if you don't pray it, they pray it themselves. If somebody else prays it, it's good. When this chaplet is said by the bedside of a dying person, we're talking about death now. God's anger is placated. Unfathomable mercy envelops the soul and the very depths of my tender mercy are moved for the sake of the sorrowful passion of my son. Here it is, God the Father talking. Oh, St. Faustina said, if only everyone realized how great the Lord's mercy is and how much we all need that mercy, especially at that critical hour, that hour of death. This is what happens at death. The demons come. We don't want that. We got to pray, especially the chaplain. Well, father, my, my father died 20 years ago. Remember what I said? God's outside of time. Your prayers now can be given to them at that moment when they're fighting. This is unbelievable. Now, Jesus said to Faint Faustine, I'm going to read my last passage, Diary 1777. Jesus said to St. Faustine to pray as much as you can for the dying by your entreaties, meaning her, her prayers, Obtain for them trust in my mercy because they have it, they have most need of trust and have it the least. These are the people who are despairing. Be assured that the grace of eternal salvation for certain souls in their final moment depends on your prayer. You know the whole abyss of my mercy, so draw upon it for yourself and especially for poor sinners. Sooner would heaven and earth turn into nothingness than would my mercy not embrace a trusting soul. And if your souls don't trust, pray on their behalf that they'll say yes when Jesus comes to them. All right, last few sentences. I'm sorry, there was more diary passage, one more. 1541 short, Jesus said to St. Faustina, write that when they say this chaplet in the presence of the dying, I will stand between my father and the dying person, not as the just judge, but as the merciful savior. Are you kidding me? An eight minute prayer. And that causes Jesus to stand in between us and the father as the merciful savior, rather than the just judge, an eight minute prayer. If we can't come up with eight minutes, do we really care for our salvation? Wow. All right, finally, at death, nobody is going to say, 
gee, what took so long? This life was just so, so long. No, we're all going to say, where did the time go? We will die sooner than we think. So the use of our time is important. You know, Father Seraphim used to scare me, not intentionally, but if I'd watch an occasional game or sports, Father Seraphim would say, you do realize that you're going to be accountable for every minute that you've ever lived before God someday. I went, oh, well, sports isn't a bad thing. It's better than nothing. I mean, it's better than doing something sinful, of course. But, and I'm not saying you don't need a break. God knows we need rest and whatnot. But where are our priorities? That's really the question. You know, we all know that John F. Kennedy died on November 22nd, 1963. Anybody who was alive then, they all remember where they were when John F. Kennedy died. Do you know who also died on that day? C.S. Lewis, an amazing writer. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis said that this life is just a shadow land. In Narnia, remember he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in Narnia, he said that the kids were sad. He, he told the story how the kids were sad about going back to England. But Aslan, the lion, said, actually, you died in a train crash with your parents. This is your true home. And it was through the death that you came to this true home, to sharing in the glory. Well, it was a metaphor for heaven. That's what C.S. Lewis wrote about. So the things of this earth, we're going to be stripped of. Things are mortal, but what is powerful in this earth are people. They are immortal. So respect them. Prioritize God first, people second. Everything else will be stripped of. Death is a beautiful mystery, but this great unknown doesn't have to be unknown. If you listen to this whole talk, the martyrs teach us not only how to face death, but also how to face life. Find Christ in all things. Death puts a new perspective on life. It did for me at that funeral yesterday. Man. And the fear of my mom, thank you again for all your prayers for Mark and my mom. I'm sorry I can't respond to everybody. There's been thousands of uh, text letters, voicemails, emails, and comments online. God bless you. You're all in my heart. And that's why we pray for you. That's what being a Marian helper is all about. Just if you want to be a Marian helper, pray for us. We'll pray for you. And in, in my love for you, because you prayed so much for Mark and my mom, my love for you is to do masses for you. To, out of the association, we pray for you every day. You want to be a Marian helper, just visit. It's easy. M-I-C for Mary and Immaculate Conception. M-I-C-Prayers.org or .com. It's no cost. It takes but a minute. Death puts a new perspective. We should do everything oriented to our main goal of heaven. You know, there's a sign in a lot of sacristies, the priest that said, priest, celebrate this mass as if it were your first mass, your last mass, and your only mass. And I think that's powerful because we can ask the laity the same question. What do you put a priority to? Priority to movies? Sports, music, or God. Live each day as if it were your first day, your last day, and your only day on this earth. The best way to prepare, however, 
we talked about death. We talked about how to prepare for anointings and confessions. We talked about what's going to happen in your particular judgment, your the general judgment. So we did what we said we were going to do. What happens at death, we explained it. And how to prepare for it, we talked about it. But if you want to summarize it all, stay in a state of grace. And if you fall out of a state of grace, get to confession. This is powerful. And you are fed at the mass. And I explain all this. And this is where I'm finishing. God bless you for staying with me. Officially, the last slide. <laughs> we are running a special on my book that Brother Marco put up on the screen called Understanding Divine Mercy. Yeah, we can never fathom it, but we can understand God said through his attribute of mercy, we can understand him better. If you want to know everything that I've talked about in God's divine mercy, pick up this book for any donation right now for the next several weeks. Any donation, you want to give me a dollar, that's fine. You want to give me a million to keep our ministry going, that's fine too. <laughs> But God knows when we need to keep the ministry going. I don't care what you give. In fact, you can't afford anything. Send me an email. I got to get this book in your hands. This is the book about God's mercy. And I'm sorry I told Mark to take it down. If we could put it back up. How do you get it? TheDivineMercy.org slash UDM for understanding divine mercy. So again, thedivinemercy.org slash UDM or call us at 800-462-7426. Everybody, thank you for going to seminary with me. Thank you for being good students. Most of all, thank you for being Marian helpers. Thank you for being part of our Marian family. When we needed you, you were there. And we've never needed you more than we did this last week. I'm probably going back to Michigan and I ask for your prayers. I'll be here for mass tomorrow on Sunday and probably for at least on Monday. I ask for your prayers continued for the repose of Mark's soul and for my mom who's still struggling. God bless you. But I also read all of your prayer requests. I apologize if I can't answer all of them, but I promise you I read every single one and I'm trying to get back every one. Online, some of the comments when you ask for prayers, I may not be able to answer, but you can be guaranteed I read it. And we offer you up in prayer. You are part of our Marian family. And so as part of that, let us give thanks to God. As I said earlier in the talk, let us be grateful, even if our life ended today, for the time God did give us as a family and to be able to love and serve him and hopefully into eternity. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why be a Marian helper? Because we Marian fathers celebrate a mass for you and all our members each and every day. You can share in all the prayers, good works, and merits of all the Marian priests and brothers around the world. And now you can share the graces just as if you were a Marian priest or brother. Every All Souls Day, we see a mass for all the deceased members of the Association of Marian Helpers. Again, there's no way that after we die, we can help ourselves, but we have to rely on the prayers of those here on earth. And we members of the Marian Fathers will be praying for you as a deceased member of our association. You can share in the graces of the perpetual novena to the divine mercy. Remember, Jesus told St. Faustina that the chaplet of divine mercy is one of the most powerful prayers we can make. 
And every day here at the Shrine of Divine Mercy, we pray it and you can share in those graces. So if you have any questions or you wanna learn more how to be a Marian helper, please visit micprayers.com or call 1-800-462-7426. And let me personally pray for you and your loved ones. Thank you and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.